The Estrella Trilogy Written and read by Seymour Hamilton Book Two The Men of the Sea Chapter Three In Which the Molly Revisits Teenmouth Land Ho! Good landfall, Skipper! As evening sunlight lengthened the shadow of the Molly's sails on the long, smooth swells, Scarm gave the shout they'd all been waiting to hear. Secretly, Roaring Jack was desperately unsure whether he could duplicate the last part of the passage sus. But the winds had held, the visibility was good, and the last leg of the journey had passed in one long, uneventful, but nervous day. "'Can't see the reef!' shouted Scarm from his position on the foredeck. "'Wait! There's a cove behind that point ahead, and I think there's maybe houses!' "'It's not Teenmouth,' said Reddy and slowly. "'Could be we're west of where we were the first time, and the reef don't go that far.' "'That's what I'm thinking,' said Roaring Jack. "'But we'll take a closer look. Douse the jib, Red. Give Scarm room to swing the lead.' The molly sailed towards the wooded point that Scarm had guessed was the guardian of a cove. The mainsail sagged as they came into the lee of the trees. Yan, who had been growing more apprehensive throughout the voyage, started to hope that he had been given a reprieve. Maybe they would not go to Teenmouth. Perhaps something had happened, and they were so lost that they would just turn around and go home. Anything would be better, he thought, than being confronted by people who could expose his secret. He looked about for something to do, and instead found himself looking into Cam's steady gaze. "'Where do you think we should go now, Yan?' asked Cam. Yan scowled, but did not answer. "'Fathom and a half, and good holding bottom,' called Scarn. "'Good. Lower the main, and drop the pick, then,' said Roaring Jack. "'I think I see lights through the trees,' said Cam. "'Are they anything like where you landed the last time, Yan?' "'Not not the same. I don't want to—' Yan mumbled into silence. "'Coil down, then,' said Roaring Jack. "'Red, Scarm, how'd you like to go take a closer look?' "'I could do with a little shore leave,' said Cam. "'Uh, right, Cam. You can go, too. Launch the dory, Red.' A little while later, Cam lowered himself gently into the blunt bow of the little rowboat. There was not much freeboard, with Red Ian rowing and Scarm in the stern, but they were soon close enough to shore that they could see a small wooden dock, almost invisible under the overhanging tree branches, until they were nearly upon it. "'Close enough,' said a deep voice from the shadows on shore. "'Tell us who thou art, and what thou wants.' Red Ian held water with his port-oar, and the dory turned broadside to the shore. You, you talk to him, Scarm, he whispered. We're from the village north of here. My name is Ian, and these are Red Ian and Cam. We'd like to come ashore and talk with you about one of our crew. Thy friend is not here, and there's nothing north of here but sea. Well, there is land to the north, cause we're from it. We know our lad isn't here, but we hope that you can help us find him. Cam, Scarm, and Red Ian exchanged glances while trying to hear a whispered conversation ashore. Then a lantern swayed back and forth in the gloom as someone approached through the trees. Red Ian brought the dory alongside a crude wharf, little more than a few logs piled lengthwise to the shore. 
Cam stood cautiously and reached up to hold on to the dark wood. His shoulders at the level of the top log, he looked at a pair of boots and then brown homespun trousers and a grey shirt hanging loose to mid-thigh. When he tipped his head back to see the man's head, two eyes caught the lantern light in a face almost totally obscured by a black and grey beard that straggled down to his waist, up to his cheekbones, and outwards to mingle with the hair that hung past his shoulders. "'Are we far from Teenmouth?' asked Cam. "'Thou art but a few hours' walk from that benighted and misfortunate place. Is something wrong there?' A judgment came upon them for consorting with the unholy. The unwitting instrument of God's wrath visited them. Mayhap they can put their house in order before the winter's upon us. Maybe not. The Almighty forfend that they should come begging to us. But should they do so, we must help them in charity, though we shall not let them pollute our circle of faith. Uh, would it harm your mm, circle of faith— to show us which way we would take to get there? Scarm asked. The bearded man waved vaguely to the east. Will yer let us land? The bearded man raised one open hand until it was level with his ear. Immediately two younger men walked purposively into view and stood one on either side of the bearded elder. They were dressed and bearded in the same simple way, and they held pitchforks with long sharp tines that gleamed in the lantern light. We steadfastly resist they that are marked with the dark visage of sin. And who might they be? Cam asked. None come to Markham who is not sanctified. That leaves me out sure as sunrise, muttered Ridian. Thou art not the only one excluded from the circle of faith rumbled the voice from behind the beard. Know that we turn aside other godless men with hearts as black as their hair, and we shall do so again by almighty grace and the religious arms of those who defend the holy faith. Scarn spoke before Redian could comment further. Who and when did you, er, uh, turn aside? At this very place my sons and I met men of darkness, who would have landed had they not felt the power of the circle of faith that we defend. And so they passed by, leaving us in peace. So you handed them on to Teenmouth, said Red Ian. The Almighty moves in mysterious ways to visit his wrath upon those that transgress. Meanwhile you can live with your conscience, said Skarm. Another whispered exchange took place on shore, and the bearded man spoke again. I see I was too trusting. Evil lurks behind your words and ways. Go now, lest harm befall. I've seen enough of them, said Cam. He pushed the bow away from the dock. I've no mind to talk further, said Skarm. Reddy and spun the boat around and headed back for the molly. Behind them the lantern was soon lost in the trees. They don't scare me he said, punctuating his words by pulling on his oars. "'Agreed, Red,' said Skarm, "'but what's the point? There are holy Joes who don't want to help. Thumping them a few times won't improve matters, even if they deserve it.' Light gleamed on the ripples ahead, as Roaring Jack lifted a lantern above the lip of the cockpit. "'Port a bit, Red, or you'll pass the molly by.' 
When they were all aboard and in the cabin, eating bread and cheese by the light of a gently swinging lantern, Scarm told the rest of the crew about what they'd seen and heard, while Red Ian nodded from time to time. "'We've been lucky getting close, but we're not right on,' said Loring Jack. "'Considering what you told us, Scarm, and the way we parted last time we was here, I'm thinking that uh, we might take a look around on land.' "'So who's going, Skipper, besides me?' said Red Ian. "'How about Yan and me?' Cam asked, and grinned when Yan's face twitched. "'Fat chance of that. Best I come, too, so as I can, um, um, persuade em to tell us the truth.' "'We'll all go, then,' said Cam. "'That ain't a good idea,' said Roaring Jack. "'The Molly needs two, in case we need to move her right quick, and—' I'll tell you what we do. I'll ease the molly on eastward in the morning and look for somewheres to land. There's got to be places where there's a track near the shoreline between here and there, and where I can bring the molly in close. And then we can find out what happened to Straya, and maybe our luck will change a bit for the better. For several long moments only the small sounds of water and the occasional creaking from the molly broke the silence in the cabin. Then everyone started to speak at once. "'Jack, sending the boys is just asking for the same thing to happen as before, when—' "'But this time I'll be along, and if and they—couldn't we just go home?' "'Why don't I go alone? People don't notice when—' Roaring Jack's big hand slapped down on the tabletop, causing it to swing wildly on the ropes from which it dangled. "'So who's the skipper of this here boat?' Four crew members sat still and silent for several heartbeats. In none of their previous voyages had they ever heard such a savage note in Roaring Jack's voice. Even the skipper himself seemed to notice that he had let something slip. "'Just wondering, you mind?' he added in a conciliatory tone that was as uncharacteristic as his explosive assertion of authority. Roaring Jack looked from one to the other. "'Nah!' "'Before you all start yelling, pick me, pick me, like you was waiting to be chosen for some game, think this one through. I need one of you to sail the molly, so—' "'So I go with Cam,' said Scarm. "'That's it,' said Roaring Jack, in his usual booming voice. "'Now let's get some sleep.' They all looked at him. Each took a breath to say something, and all let out air wordlessly. They prepared for the night in silence, each of them wondering what was making Roaring Jack so unlike his usual self. Yan was the last to fall asleep. They woke to a light mist curling off calm water. Overhead the sun pinked the underside of a mackerel-back sky. Soon they were underway, easing along on a gentle west wind that took them parallel with the coastline, Scarm swinging the lead, the little dory bobbing along astern. Sometimes they were able to come close to low, sandstone cliffs that were no taller than a man. Sometimes they steered around sandy shallows that ran so far from shore that they had to stand out to sea until they could no longer distinguish individual trees in the forested shoreline. They had run downwind for nearly three hours when they sighted the white line of the reef they had encountered on their first trip. They sailed on into the protected water with white breakers to port and tree-lined beaches to starboard. "'Shoaling up, skipper,' called Scarm from the bow. Roaring Jack put the molly on a broad reach landward. Over his shoulder the curl of white waves on the reef ceased for a few boat lengths. 
There's our gap in the reef, Skipper, says Carm. Better smoke ahead, Skipper, said Redian. Could be the lubber's houses. Roaring Jack brought the molly head to wind and backed the jib. Better luck you saw that. We'll anchor so's we're right here waiting after your day ashore. And don't be late. Red Ian, Skarm, and Cam climbed into the dory and rowed to where the remains of a cart track ran down almost to the high tide line. They landed on reddish sand where dried kelp mingled with dead reeds and the occasional piece of sea-whitened driftwood. She is here tonight, said Red Ian. Strike a light if you're late, and I'll be where you're at in jig time. Skarm and Cam followed two faint ruts, separated by a strip of marsh grass and were soon walking past bushes tall enough that they could no longer see the molly. Then they were stepping over the roots of huge trees, where only occasional gleams of sunlight reached their path. A few turns and twists around the tree trunks, and they found themselves standing on a red earth road wide enough for four men to walk abreast. "'You're sure you want to do this, Cam?' asked Scarn. "'I'm fine,' he said firmly, "'but they could recognize you.' Possible, but not likely. And even if they do, I'm not big, strong, or young. They walked for a while, glancing from side to side, but saw nothing except dark trunks and spreading branches above sparse undergrowth. Gradually the road at their feet dappled with light as the sun rose high over the trees. They stopped at a small stream and drank, Cam wishing that he'd thought to bring food with them. When they started down the road again, Cam decided that talking would take his mind off his empty stomach. So, Skarm, why are you on this trip? To be honest, Cam, it's because I want the truth. And that's something I'm beginning to think Jack doesn't want to know, because he's all churned up about Alana. There's something between Yan and Estrella that needs explaining, and I'm not getting it from Yan. Too right. It all began at the village before the crews were chosen. If Strayer hadn't been mighty quick, he'd have been dead, and it would have been Yan's doing. Twint just a bunch of the lads having a wrestle. You were there? Cam nodded. Yan was set to kill Strayer. He didn't, but not for lack of trying. Then Strayer got us all up the cliff when we was hemmed in by the tide. He saved our sorry arses. I didn't know. Leastways, I only heard scraps from here and there. You wouldn't. Nobody told the whole story, cause nobody wanted to think about how bad it could have been, and we were all in Strayer's debt, too, and that made it worse. Thanks for telling me. They walked in silence, disturbed only by the small noises of birds hidden by the leaves. The thing is, Skarm, it isn't just that. Things go wrong around Yan. Always did. Small stuff. People lose their things, like a favorite knife. And it always happens to the ones who've laughed at him, or teased him, or bested him in some way. Skarm nodded. I saw that, back when you was all coming to me for reading and counting. Nothing I could stop, cause all I had was a suspicion. Like Alana had. Except she was certain. Something like what we've got now. Now she's dead. And somehow Jack blames himself. Maybe he just don't want to see how convenient. It is that Strayer goes missing for dead when there's nobody but Yan who is there to see. Jack acts like he thinks that the sun rises out of Yan's arse. Part of it's guilt, and the other part is because the lad caught a big fish. Maybe he's losing his judgment, Scarm. I wouldn't say that. 
but he is trusting on luck a whole lot more than sensible. They walked a while in silence, Skarn thinking he had said too much, and Cam feeling he had not said enough. After a little while he spoke again. Skarn, you showed Strayer how to wrestle, didn't you? He has the speed and talent. I just showed him a few holds and breaks from when I was a wrestling man. And you taught him a lot of other stuff, didn't you? You mean the books? <laughs> that was easier than feeding the goat. He read just about everything I owned. How many books do you have, Ian? Quite a few, Cam. Quite a few. Where did you get— Oh, hold on. There's somebody ahead. While they were talking, they had passed several well-used tracks that they guessed led to farmhouses, and now they were approaching the five-way meeting of roads at the edge of Teenmouth. In the dusty red earth near the well, a little boy of perhaps three was playing a complicated game involving several stones and a stick. Ignoring their duty to mind him, three girls gossiped together under the nearest tree, the sunlight dappling their white blouses and brown skirts. None of them noticed as the little boy walked unsteadily towards the well, stones clutched in his small, grubby hands. Cam ran across the open space and scooped up the child just as he staggered towards the low wall around the well. The little boy's cry of surprise brought all three girls at a rush. Cam put the boy down and stood between him and the well. One of the girls snatched him up and held him tight. Her brown hair exactly matched that of the boy in her arms. "'Your brother?' asked Cam. The girl nodded. "'It's all right. We won't tell your ma. Just don't let him out of your sight.' The girl's brown eyes were wide with mingled distress and gratitude. "'Who are you, and where are you from?' asked the taller of the other two, a dark-haired girl whose body was beginning to blossom into womanhood. Skarm walked slowly forward, and indicated the road they had followed with a wave of his hand. "'You're not from Markham,' she said suspiciously. She plucked at her friend's sleeve. Go, Miriam, run. The third girl ran off, her blonde braids rippling across her back. The men will be here very soon, so, so don't try anything. Her voice quavered, putting the lie to her words. Skarm held out his hands, palm up. One hand stretched out, waist-high, at arm's length. The other was cupped, just below his beard. See, he said, one old crippled man and one boy. We're not dangerous. And, if we were, do you think he'd have saved your little brother? We heard that bad things happened here, said Cam. Is that so? The two girls glanced at each other and started to speak at the same moment. They came at night, broke in, woke us up. They were all in black. Father told us to hide. Two of them. They hit him so hard he fell down and couldn't get up. There was an almost boastful quality when they began as if it were a story they'd hold often, but the telling brought back grief and regret. The smaller of the two sniffed and wiped her nose with the back of her hand. They kept asking, Where is he? Where's the man with the green stone? We didn't know what they were talking about. So they went on to the next house. Took Becky with them. That's not all. Just about everybody was... Get away from them! The shout took Cam by surprise, and he stepped back. Three women ran towards him. The first to arrive was young, full-faced, and heavy from childbearing. She swept the children behind her, and stood, flushed from running, a short length of firewood in one hand. She was not much taller than Cam, but she had the determination of a mother defending her children. The other two women caught up with her, 
One held a carving knife, the other a poker. The three formed a defensive line in front of the children. "'Who are you, and why are you here?' The woman who spoke was the last to arrive, waving a poker in a hand knotted by age and work. She was tall, wiry, and old enough to be a grandmother. She was trying to look threatening, but it was the third woman who made both Cam and Skarm choose their words with care. She was the one with the knife, and she held it low, with her thumb on the blade. Her face was hard below her tight braided brown hair, and her eyes flicked back and forth between her two opponents, as if choosing which she would attack first. Skarm repeated his open-handed gesture. Like Cam, he stood still, waiting for the women to calm themselves after their rush towards the newcomers. "'Your girl said that men came looking for someone with a green stone,' began Skarm, speaking to the woman who had one hand on her daughter's shoulder. "'Spy!' spat the grandmother. "'Sneaking spy! Took our money! Betrayed our trust! Stole Judith's daughter! Probably killed her, too!' "'Spy for who?' asked Skarm. "'Spy for them men who came in the big boat,' said the mother, emphasizing her words by shaking the piece of firewood. She tugged her daughter behind her. "'Tell us who you are,' said the woman with the knife. "'Start talking, or—' "'Our village is north of here,' said Skarn. "'We're looking for a lad about the age of Cam here, but taller. He got here on a boat. Was he black-haired and bearded?' Both Skarn and Cam nodded. "'Then why did you try to kill him?' Skarm and Cam exchanged glances. "'That wasn't us,' said Cam. The old woman waved her poker. "'Don't trust them, Judith. They're spies, too.' Straya wasn't a spy,' she snapped back. "'Men don't go looking for their own spy with knives and clubs. "'Whatever he was, he wasn't one of them that came after.' "'Straya,' echoed Cam, "'you knew?' The old woman, who had continued to mutter while Judith spoke, now grew shrill with indignation. "'Maybe they were looking for him, cause he stole that green stone they was asking about. The reason your man's dead, Judith!' Skarm saw the woman flinch, her knuckles white around the knife-handle. "'He looked like him! He looked like him!' the grandmother went on. "'Came ahead of him! Stands to reason! We've been walking for a bit!' said Skarm calmly. Can we get a drink from the well and sit down? Moving slowly, he went to the well and started to haul up a bucket of water. We're taking the children, and we'll fetch them in, said the grandmother, her voice shrill. I need to hear more from these two, said the woman with the knife. On your own head be it then, Judith. The grandmother waved her hands at the mother and her children like someone herding geese, turned them around and started them up one of the roads, scolding as she walked. They went round a bend and out of sight. "'I'm Ian. This is Cam.' And Judith. She started to talk quickly, the words tumbling one after the other. "'My man Jeb brought Straya home for me and Eva to heal, and we did that. So then Jeb put Straya to work. Then he thought he saw how he could profit, even though he'd be losing Straya's help on the farm. So he talked the council into making Straya the teen mouse scholar, and then he told Eva to take Straya part the way up the road to the castle, wait till he was asleep, take the scholar's money the council had raised, and bring it to him. But it didn't work out. She never came back. The men of the sea came instead. They had black hair and wore black clothes, and they were looking for a man with a bracelet, like Straya had. You saw it? 
asked Karen. She nodded. And so did Jeb, was the pity, because he said so to the men in black. And then they took Jeb out behind the barn, and one of them cut him and hit him until he was dead. I could hear it happening, because it took half the night. She paused, willing away the memory of torture she had heard. It was all for nothing. He didn't know any more than he said. But that didn't stop them. And then it was too late. In the morning we all found out that they'd taken Mary and her two boys and Becky as well. Nobody stopped them. Only Daniel even tried, and he got hit on the head for his trouble. The rest of them all just hid. So afterwards they made up stories. Stories. Strayer was a spy. Eva tricked Strayer. Strayer kidnapped Eva. They ran off together. Bandits killed them on the road. The men from the sea took them. Talk, 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 talk. Nobody did nothing. Who's Eva? asked Cam. My daughter. The castle? asked Carm. Where is it? Beyond the hills. More than halfway to Charton. Charton? Harbour Town on the other side. How do we... How did Estrella? Judith took a step back from the questions, as if regretting what she had told them. You'd better go. Old Ethel can't leave well enough alone. Drives her daughter crazy. By now she'll have sent to fetch men from the fields. If you're quick, you'll miss them. They're cowards. Once they see that you're no threat, they'll want to beat on you just to make up for what they didn't have the guts to do when the men of the sea came. Thank you for telling us, Scarham began. Go now before things get ugly. Stay on the coast road. Before they could ask any more questions, Judith turned and walked away, the knife in her hand now pointing at the ground. She stopped and called after them. If you get to the castle, find Eva, and tell her I'm glad she got away. Cam and Scarm walked in silence back towards the molly, each turning over in his mind what they had heard. Eventually, when they were near the cart track that led to the sea, Cam finally spoke. So, how are we going to tell the skipper that Strayer's alive? Just do it, Cam, I guess. Ian, is it true about the men of the sea? I heard tell of men who sail forever, but I thought it was just a song, a made-up story. It's more than a story, Cam. Strayer, Strayer's father, was he a man of the sea? Yes, but like the ones who killed Judith's husband? I can't believe that, Cam. Did Strayer's dad tell you anything about them? Not much, but at first he sometimes spoke about ships, big ships, about sailing at night far out in the ocean, and he drew pictures. But when I asked him if he wanted to go back, he shook his head. What about the bracelet that the woman Judith said the men of the sea were looking for? That must be the one Estrella's got, the one his dad gave Alana and she gave to him. That woman said the men who came were all dark, with black hair, like Estrella's. Next you'll be telling me young Estrella's some kind of a monster. No, of course I won't. Well, then? They left the gloom under the trees, stepped into the level light of evening, and followed the track down to the water. The low sun shone slantwise onto the bushes, brightening the marsh grasses and dazzling on the water when they looked out to sea. It was not until they heard Red Ian's voice that they saw him standing beside the little dory. You're back. Much later, and you'd be feeling your way in the dark. So, get aboard. He rowed out into the lagoon, 
where the afterglow of sunset still lit the water. They were soon alongside the molly. Yan and Roaring Jack leaned over the side and looked down at them. "'Well?' boomed the skipper. "'Strayer's alive,' said Cam. "'Is he there?' "'He went south,' said Cam. "'We can get there by sea,' said Scarm. "'There's a harbour.' "'How do you know?' Roaring Jack interrupted. "'We spoke to the woman who looked after him, Jack. "'How do you know she was telling the truth?' "'She's right shook up, Jack,' said Scarm. "'After Estrella left, the men of the sea came and killed her man. "'Something like what we saw on our first trip, "'the scuttled ship and the empty village, only not so bad. "'Here there was only one, maybe two, killed, and three kidnapped. "'The other women blamed Estrella, but the one who told us the most "'said he wasn't part of it because she'd known him. "'The others only told us rumors and lies.' "'See, Skipper,' Yan interrupted, "'they near killed him because they knew he was one of them pirates.' The Skipper's big head turned toward Yan, and he frowned thoughtfully. Oh, "'That's muddied the water,' Cam muttered disgustedly. "'It's like I was telling you,' said Yan. "'We don't know everything about Straya and his green stone.' "'Not so,' said Cam indignantly. "'Straya never—' "'Was Straya mixed up in the killin'? Roaring Jack demanded. Skarm tried to get the story back on course. No, that's not the way of it. Estrella left before all that happened. He's south of here. We follow the coast and— We go after him, said Red Ian firmly. We rescue Estrella. Come aboard and we'll talk, said Roaring Jack. Seems to me that like we're no further ahead. You two don't know nothing for sure. Skarm and Cam looked at each other in the fading light and shook their heads. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, Book Two, The Men of the Sea, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astreatrilogy.com for more about Estrella's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0.